Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Write or Die show. I am your host, Randy Lee Boswell. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking to John Giordano. Welcome, John. Excited to have you with us. Okay. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's start with the easiest question. Tell us about yourself. All righty. Um, um, let me see. I, I have a lot of things that I do. Uh, first of all, I'm a chaplain for the North Miami Police Department. Uh, I'm also a grandmaster in the martial arts. Which one? Uh, karate. Okay. I do right. kickboxing, that's why I'd ask. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, it's Goju. Uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with the different styles. Okay. No. Uh, five-time national karate champion, all that stuff. I'm also a recovering addict. Uh, I'm coming up in 37 years of recovery. And um, I started my journey when I got into a recovery and I only went to the ninth grade. My family was a mafia type family. My father was a heroin dealer. Uh, he went to jail when I was eight. I got molested when I was eight and a half. Um, so I carried that with me, all that shame and all that guilt and not knowing, wanting anybody to know about it. Um, let me see. Um, you know, different things in my life. I wound up uh, being everything I didn't want to be. I wound up doing drugs. I wound up selling drugs. Um, I wound up doing all that crazy stuff that we do when you use drugs and alcohol. Uh, they said I had bipolar disorder or attention deficit disorder. And um, I went on from there. So then I, um, you know, like I said, I went to the ninth grade and I got my GED and I um, went back to school. And eventually I opened up a treatment center and um, I, I opened it up with $300. And in 2012, we sold it for 45 million. I, I wrote this book called The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. And to show people, no matter where you come from, no matter what lifestyle you have, no matter who your family is, no matter what people say about you, uh, you can be successful regardless. And this is the book. It's called The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. Um, and it's there to motivate people to show them no matter what life throws at you, you can overcome. Awesome. So let's go back and talk about first, because this sounds like it happened first. You were eight and a half, um, and you're talking about the shame, not wanting people to know. Totally understandable. How did you come to be able to talk to people about that? Well, I got into recovery, and that was at 37 years old. Okay. So you held that shame for a long time. Yes. And yes. what, what did holding on to that shame do to you? Well, you know, it's very confusing for people that uh, are sexually abused. Uh, what happens is this, when, while you're getting sexually abused, you may feel good, okay, with what they're doing, just for a split second. And, you know, even though, it, you know, you don't want to do that, you feel bad, you feel all these other, but if somebody's touching something that uh, can excite you, for that moment in time, you can feel good. Then you can feel the guilt that maybe it's my fault and, you know, um, all the things that go with that. And then you get, you know, I thought I had an evil inside of me. So I went to a priest and asked him to uh, 
get this evil out of him. And he says, all right, John, go to five Hail Marys, 10 Our Fathers, you'll be fine. So <laughs> that didn't work very well, by the way. Um, no, I couldn't imagine it would. No. But uh, going to treatment and going to therapy about all these different things and getting to understand it was not my fault and to getting to understand that it was just normal to feel these feelings and these emotions. Uh, I was able to now talk about it with, it doesn't have power over me at all. That's beautiful. And I love how you said that it doesn't have power over me anymore. And okay, slightly off topic. My favorite movie is Labyrinth. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but for those who have, it's amazing. And the one of the last lines in the movie as she's um, telling the Goblin King, you know, I want my brother back, whatever. One of the last lines is, you have no power over me. And when she says that line, they blast out the labyrinth. She goes back home. Her brother is safe. And it's like, wow, everything's amazing now. So just kind of like you were saying, I realized that has no power over me anymore. It's like big weight lifted off and you can move on. Absolutely. You see what it is, a lot of people, you know, being a therapist and I could speak to just about anybody about anything, you know, being a drug addict and, and being molested when I was a kid and the family I grew up with. Um, one of the things in the book um, talks about my, um, one of my relatives who was a hitman, and he uh, threw me a wedding. And um, during the wedding, the caterer insulted him in front of the family. So the next morning he killed him. And so we had to go through all that. Oh yeah, the book is very interesting. There's a lot <laughs> of different things that go on there. <laughs> I don't want to give away the whole enchilada. Oh but no, of course not. <laughs> it's it's a real interesting book. And I used to do I used to do collection work for the smugglers. Uh, I did a lot of things. Wow. You know, I threw concerts. Uh, uh, I threw plays. I did. I had my own television shows during music. So, you know, go ahead. Let's talk about that time now. When did you start using? When did I start what? When did you start using? I started using around oh, about 19. Okay. Yeah. And was there anything in particular, I'm sure it was probably lots of different factors, but was there anything in particular you can remember about that day you started? Yeah, sure. Um, what, what it was about is I was teaching karate and my students wished to come in stoned. And I used to look at them and I say, okay, so I used to work them out till they threw up. I figured that would discourage them. Well, apparently it didn't. They came back the next class and they did it again. And they said to me, sensei, they says, you know, sensei means teacher. Uh, you never did drugs. Why don't you try it? Maybe you might like it. And I said, I don't need anything like that. But one day I was at my apartment house in uh, Miami, uh, in uh, Miami Beach, and um, a friend of mine came by with this little vial of clear liquid. So I said, what's that? And he says, uh, oh, that's LSD. And I heard about this before, that expands your mind and does all this other kind of stuff. I said, well, let me see. So I took the bottle and I drank it. And the guy freaked out. He said, that was five hits. In other words, for five people. Oh, my God. So, Goodness. Yes. And so that was your first I, time having it. That was the first time doing anything. All right. And anyway, I went on, I went on a trip for about four days, uh, three to four days, uh, day and night. And then from there on in, I started to go do the, the typical thing. I was doing 
psychedelics for a while, and then I was doing pot, and then I was doing uh, different pills, and then I was doing cocaine, then uh, the typical thing that keeps going on and on and on until it starts to bite you. Yeah. yeah. So when did you notice that I was starting to bite you? I didn't. Oh, My whole, everybody else did. Okay. So what were other people saying to you to make you realize it? Well, what they did is they did an intervention on me. Okay. okay. And my friends, well, I told you who my family was. I was wondering who's doing an intervention on them. <laughs> yeah, really? So I didn't have a problem. They had the problem. But my mother was upset with me. And she said, she won't talk to me again. And that's not my mother. And I said, you know what? I'll take a break. You know, I'll go in. I had some Coke in my sock. I went into the bathroom. I did a couple of hits with the Coke. Then came out and went up into treatment. And that's how my journey started. Wow. All right. So how many people were there at the intervention? Oh, about five. Okay. And so finally, they're like, that's it, John. Like, we, you got to get help. You got to go. And so you go. Is this, so this is your first time going. Did the first time work for you or did you have to go into treatment no, again? No, I only went once. Okay. Because for some so What people, I had in treatment was what I call a spiritual awakening. Now, when I first went in, I was sitting in group and I told him, I wouldn't even get high with you people, let alone talk to you, you know. <clears throat> of course, I was very angry. I didn't want to be there. Uh, I wanted to use. Yeah. And I felt a lot of this guilt and a lot of this shame starting to come up. And, you know, and being a karate teacher, I taught a lot of the doctors and nurses kids. So oh. I didn't want them to know that I was there. But obviously, you know, I couldn't be an ostrich, put my head in the sand and my butt's yeah. up in uh, everybody saw me and um, anyway as, as it went on they used to tell you to share in group okay you know some of these feelings you're having and I said look if I have to share in group I'll have to kill you so you know that's a so, true mobster saying isn't it yeah that's how you have to kill you so you know if you want to act stupid I, I was the king of stupid when I first started so anyway I think uh, most of most people are when they go in because you have this bravado of I don't actually need to be here everyone else has the problem not me I mean not everybody well, not has only that, that, is that how 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 is talking going to help me you know uh you know and how are you going to help me I can't even help me so you know that kind of attitude I always had my my bags were never unpacked I used to pull out shirts all wrinkled up and just put them on didn't care about anything uh, I was always at the elevator ready to leave. And then the therapist would pull me back and talk to me and I would stay. And I went in during, uh, uh, in December, December 4th, actually. And um, coming up on Christmas Eve, I wanted to go home. And uh, they said, oh, no, 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 you can't go home. Okay. And I got really pissed off. Well, I don't know about you or anybody else, but I didn't just get angry. I got rageful. Oh, okay. And it would take me uh, at least a day, sometimes hours, to get rid of that. So I remember my therapist in there telling me, John, do you, do you ever pray on your knees? I said, look, I'm a Catholic. I got calluses on my knees. I said to him, he says, no, how about for humility? So I said, look, you mean God doesn't hear me? How about if I'm standing in the closet? Would he hear me? You know, I was really nasty. I blamed God. I blamed everybody for my position in life. Which most addicts do anyway. Yeah. And um, so what happened was these, so I, for some reason, I went to get down on my knee. 
and I couldn't get down on my knee. And that may sound a little strange to you or anybody else, but my knee wouldn't go down. And I had to push it down. And then I had to push my second knee down. And then, you know, I was so distraught, okay? And what happened was that I, I prayed to God or energy or whatever you want to call it, yeah. okay? That whatever you want me to do, I'll do, just get rid of this feeling, okay? Because all my feelings were flooding in, which I was medicating all those years. Yeah. Okay? So it was becoming very overwhelming. And all of a sudden, it left. No more rage, no more anger, gone. Like it never was there before. Well, I don't know about anybody else, but that never happened to me. So I try to get it back. Oh. It wouldn't, it wouldn't come back. Okay, so why did you try to get it back? Well, because I was sick and suffering and I couldn't believe that it was gone. Oh, okay. I didn't even trust the fact that it happened. So that was my spiritual awakening in treatment. Okay. And basically from then on in, uh, I started to change. And then um, one day that they, at the, I think it's about the third week of treatment, they do a thing called exiting. In other words, where the nurses, the doctors and the therapists um, all sit in a room and you go in there and they, they let you know if you're gonna need more time or okay. you know, how you're doing and stuff like that. So anyway, I'm sitting in the room with everybody and everybody's going, oh, John's doing so much better. Uh, the therapist said, yeah, he's following directions and sharing in group, you know? And the head doctor, this woman, turned around and looked at me and said, he's full of shit. Just like that. Well, <laughs> uh, old John came out and said, listen, you fat bitch, I call her all kinds of names. Yeah. I told everybody, listen, I could kill all of you. You'll never be able to get out of the room. Um, oh, yeah. Crazy stuff. Right? So the doctor said to me, John, we only want to help you. And all of a sudden, I started to cry hysterical. And I ran out of the room. And that was one of the major turning points in my yeah. treatment. Uh, wow. That... That's really an amazing story, especially so what really got to me right there is when you said that the doctor said to you, we just want to help you. So I know someone, I don't want to make it known who this person is, but they will know who I'm talking about and people close to me will know who I'm talking about. So there's this person that I know and he is still very much an addict. And we were trying to help him as, as best we could, kind of like what you were saying with your family doing an intervention. Um, and the one time we did not a full intervention, but we did a form. So we're, I'm in Canada and what we can do is form a person if they are not mentally able to take care of themselves. So we you had to go to the courthouse, write out why, um, and then take it to the police station and the police take them. It's, it's not an actual arrest, but they take them to the psychiatric ward in the hospital. So we were trying to get um, this person formed. And I can remember standing there. So we're, it was not that long ago, a couple months. So it was nice out. Standing outside, the police have, had just pulled up to the house. They're there and he starts kind of freaking out going, no, 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 I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And the police are going, no, we're just taking you to the hospital where you're not going to jail. But I don't like the hospital. I don't like doctors. I don't like them. I don't want to go. And me and there was me and two other people there that were saying, they just want to help you. 
But in his mind, which is still very much messed up, it was, no, 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 they're not going to help me. I, I, no, 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 I can't go. I can't go. And it's, they just want to help you. So when you were saying that, it really brought me back to that moment where we're all saying, yeah, but they just want to help you. We just want to help you. We just want you to be okay. So it's, it's truth is that people just want to help you. They do care about you. But in that moment of, I don't even know how to describe, but in that moment, it's hard to recognize that what they're saying is the truth and you can trust them to help you. It can be very difficult. Well, addicts don't believe anybody because they don't believe themselves. Thus, we always say we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we don't do it. I'm going to quit, we don't quit. You know, so um, what happens is uh, a lot of times they're in denial, they don't believe they have a problem. Yeah. Uh, even if they knew they had a problem, they don't want you to know they have a problem, even though you know they have a problem. Yes. So, oh, yes. I can remember him saying, let's know, oh, have a problem. And we're like, mm, yeah, you do. So, you know, th those are the things that, that, that occur. You know, I've been treating addicts and alcoholics now for 35 years. Let's talk about how you got into that. Okay. So first, how long were you actually in that treatment place? Six weeks. Okay. So after that next three weeks, um, that you were able to go home. Yeah, after the six weeks, I was able to go home. Okay. Then it was aftercare. Okay, what did aftercare look like? Aftercare was once a week, you go to group therapy. And also I, I had a therapist, so I worked with a therapist also. Okay. And how long did aftercare last? Well, you, it was only supposed to be for like six months. I went for a year and a half. Okay. They had to throw me out. <laughs> so you didn't want to leave. And what was your reasoning for not wanting to stop that? Well, because I felt like there was a place that I could let go of all these feelings I had, plus going to a therapist. Yeah. You know, I really wanted to get well. I was That's tired right. of doing what I was doing, but I was married to a woman who was also still using. And yeah, I, was told, I was told not to make any major decisions for the first year. So um, I went through all this and then after a while, I said, this is not working, mm -hmm. okay? And uh, I got divorced and I winded up, uh, she had the house, she had the cars, she had everything. And I wound up living in a hotel room, which is, I was homeless actually. Yeah. And um, a friend of mine let me a room in his hotel. And uh, my kids used to come and we all used to sit and cry. And he used to say, daddy, what are you doing here? And um, I was saying to myself, this is recovery, this sucks. You know, this is terrible, yeah. you know? But I kept going to the meetings. I kept doing what I was supposed to do. And I always used to complain and say, listen, this is terrible. When is it going to get better? So the first thing they asked me was, did you use today? I said, no. They said, well, it already got better. Ah, true, yes. Right. So I, I kept going and uh, then I went to, I went and got my GED and I did all the things that I had to do. And, you know, there's a whole other story with different treatment centers that I opened up and, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, when you read the book, you see it, it's a whole storyline. with the whole Oh, I'm bunch. sure it is. So what made you want to open a treatment place? Well, I, I wanted to help people. Okay. See, I was helping people with karate. I was teaching in Liberty City in Overtown was the black community. And I helped a lot of the kids there. 
And even though I was using, I was still trying to help people. Yeah. So I just transitioned to not using and helping people and going and becoming a therapist and uh, going from there. That's pretty awesome. So you got your GED. How did that feel when you got your GED? Well, it was really funny because when I went and to go to take the class, because you had to, at the time, if you wanted to be a, a therapist, you have to have at least a GED. Now it's a master's degree. Yeah. You know, remember now this is 30 something years ago. So <clears throat> I go in and I walk in and the proctor, she had, not the proctor, the woman behind the desk had a back towards me and I'm waiting, I'm all nervous, of course. You know, I didn't study because I, what I did was I didn't study anything because I figured, well, if I fail, I can always blame I didn't study. So ah. I was sabotaging myself before I even went in. Yep. And um, I, I, I barked at the woman. She says, oh, you must be here for the GED test. So that that really cut everything, you know. Uh, she says, that's okay. I know you're nervous. Everybody gets that way. So I went into the room, and some of the people in there didn't even know how to put their name on a piece of paper. So I said to myself, well, if they're there, I think I could do okay. And yeah. I took the test. But, you know, I, I never had an algebra. I never had any of that school. Mm. I didn't go to school for 25 years. And um, two weeks later, after the test, I got the, I got the mail. I opened up the mail, and I passed. Well, I was in shock that I passed. Did you really think was, you were failing? Yeah, I guessed that. Every, most of the things, I guessed that. You know, well, I guess I had good guessing. <laughs> so I got that, and I went to... Um, uh, the Addiction Training Institute. You had to have three. You have to have three hundred hours of okay. schooling and six thousand hours of supervision. Okay. So then I did all that, and uh, here I am. That With is that. wonderful. And okay, so that was a long time ago now. <laughs> so you you built up this treatment center. You sold it twenty twelve, I think it was. I'm sorry? You, you sold the treatment places in 2012, right? Yeah, 2012. Yes. So then what have you done since 2012? Oh, I did a lot of things. Well, first of all, I, I lecture all over the world on addiction and alternative medicine. I'm one of the leading experts on alternative medicine for addiction and mental. Wow. And so what are some of those alternative medicines that you talk about? Oh, we talk about amino acid therapy. We talk about uh, how it upregulates dopamine. I mean, I'm in 77 um, peer-reviewed medical journals currently. I work with 25 universities, um, researchers and, and scientists from uh, 25 universities. I work with a Dr. Ken Blum. He's the geneticist who found the addiction gene. There is an addiction gene. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, and now you can look it up. And... Um, so I work with him. I also work with a, uh, a Dr. Deborah Mass. She's a pioneer in, in Ibogaine plant medicine. Um, I mean, so I lecture about hyperbaric uh, oxygen chambers that helps heal the brain. I work with Dr. also Dr. Paul Hart, who's a pioneer in hyperbaric medicine. Now hyperbarics has been around for over 100 years. It was used for the bends when somebody goes down in the ocean very deep and they have to come back up. They have to balance their, their blood, uh, the nitric oxide in their blood and things like that. Uh, and, uh, but it also heals the brain. And um, 
Dr. Hartz went to the Senate with Dr. Williamson and they got them to approve wound healing for diabetics because it also heals wounds. So I talk about that. Uh, I talk about acupuncture. We talk about uh, heavy metals. We talk about co-contributing factors to depression and addiction, which most people don't even know. Now, I don't know if you know, you know what dopamine and serotonin is? Yeah. That's the feel-good drug we manufacture naturally. Yeah. Where do you think it's made? In the body. Oh, I know this answer too, but I'm being put on the spot. Right. I don't know what I put on the spot. I'll give you the answer. All right. It's made in your microbiome or your gut or the flora in your gut. That's where dopamine and serotonin are made. It goes up the vagus nerve. Right and deposits it into the brain. So if your gut is messed up, all right, guess what? You're going to be messed up. Yeah, and it's so funny that this is now a proven thing, right? Like yes. there's been studies and research because I remember when I was little, my mom always used to go on and on about how if you, if there's certain things in your food and your stomach is hurt, then obviously you're not going to feel good. She never necessarily said like depression and all those specific terms but she always would go on about your food and your gut and your mood that's right so my so, mom was on to something and then what causes uh, may cause some depression and anxiety you have leaky gut syndrome uh h pylori infection you can be hypoglycemic you can have a low thyroid you can have a closed head injury which gives you depression anxiety and possibly uh, suicidal ideation and behavioral problems. So there are a host of medical conditions, not just psychological conditions, uh, that can contribute to, de to depression, anxiety, and addiction. We're looking at only a psychological model when people go to treatment. Yeah. And they guess giving medications. Okay, oh, take two of these, take three of those. Oh, that doesn't work. Oh, let's change the medication and on and on and on. So and it's not that I'm against any medication. I'm, I'm, I'm for whatever works. Yeah. <laughs> but let's get to what's really driving this. It's like if you get a headache, you could take an aspirin, all right, or a Tylenol. But I want to know why did I get the headache? Yeah. Well, and sometimes because you say headache, the other day, actually, I think it was like was it yesterday. It could have been yesterday. I got a headache and just like out of the blue, I just kind of started like, oh, and my kid was like, what's wrong? I go, I just have like a little headache. Like, oh, do you need a Tylenol? I go, I think I just need to drink some water. It was, I just, and I did, I went, I had a real big glass of water and I felt so much better because dehydration can cause headaches. Most people and most addicts are volume depleted, which means they don't drink enough water and nutrient deficient, which means they don't get enough nutrients. Because most of the time, people eat processed food, a lot of sugars, okay? And that's why we have a lot of obesity in our country today. It's really interesting. I, I travel around the world, and I, I went to China uh, a number of times, and it was very interesting. The first time I went to China, I think it was over, over 40 years ago, and you need a special visa and all that, and I went there, and they had one car. If, if you saw a car, you were lucky, because most of the thing was bicycles. Mm -hmm. And if it was a car, it was a state car. Mm -hmm. um, so <clears throat> then I kept, I went about four times. And as the, the years went by, you see all these cars all of a sudden started showing up. 
But what's very interesting was the people there were getting heavier. And here you see KFC, Burger King, Wendy's, their whole diet changed. Yeah. They wanted to be like us Americans. And the bad part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's why we have a high uh, uh, degree of uh, of, uh, uh, diabetes, high blood pressure. Yeah. You know, in our country because our diet is terrible. Yeah. I know, and it starts right from that young age, and I, I'm trying to break the cycle with my kid, because when I was little, it was always, oh, you did good on this school test, here, have a candy bar, oh, you cleaned your room, and it looks great, here's a candy bar, right, let's go to McDonald's, this is your special treat, and food, specifically junk food, was always the reward. So then in my brain, I was thinking reward food and that's how I was raised. So then at the beginning, when I was first a parent, you know, oh, good job on whatever. Here's your, here's your treat. Now I'm trying to make those treats more like let's play a game together or I don't know, something that's not food related because food should never be a reward, especially when it comes to junk food. That's just well, you know, we use food, you know, to medicate ourselves with also. Because yeah. you have to understand, carbs raise the serotonin. And, and, and that's what we do. So, and uh, what, and unfortunately, obesity is, is, is rampant in our country. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I'm a huge emotional eater. When I am not feeling great or I'm depressed or whatever, bring on the food. Yeah, well, I do that myself sometimes. Well, I catch myself, you know, I'm saying, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You know, um, I, I, I believe that's from, uh, from childhood, especially in my age group, you know, I'm 75. And, you know, back then it's, you know, mother always gave you food and you don't feel good eat, you know, yeah. oh, eat everything on your plate or, you know, on and on and on and on. Oh, that was always the worst, the eat everything on your plate thing. Right. I, I just now trying to work through my issues with that. I have a lot of food related issues that I'm trying to work through. And that's a big one, especially when it came to my dad. My mom wasn't quite as bad as my dad, but it was eat everything on your plate. Like, well, I didn't fill my plate. You filled my plate. You're saying I can eat this much. I can't eat this much. (laughs) And even if I did fill my plate, my sometimes your eyes are bigger than your stomach. And so I used to finish everything on my plate and and my mom will still say it to me now and not finish everything on your plate, but she'll go, you're going to waste fat. You're going to waste fat because we, I grew up, I was in the poor, poor, I was a single mom. Um, when I was a for like left, when I was first had my kid, I was poor. I was 19 when I had my kids. So I didn't really have my decent job or even my education yet. I still had, I hadn't finished college yet. So I was broke and I remember going to food banks and, you know, I have $50 to last us for the two weeks for groceries. So yeah, wasting food was unacceptable, but there's children starving. Exactly. Oh, I know. But now I'm going, you know what, if I eat this just because in my mindset has been set on this, don't waste food, eat everything on your plate. I'm going to feel really gross after like, I'm going to be too full and 
yeah, eventually it leads me down gaining five pounds, 10 pounds, 20 pounds. See, there's different, uh, people don't realize there's different kinds of addiction. Yeah. Uh, there's eating disorders, there's uh, gambling addiction, there's sex addiction, there's spending addiction. And people go, well, what is addiction? Well, addiction is when you continue to use a substance or a behavior in spite of adverse consequences. Oh, you are the first person to actually give the definition of it. And I love it. So I'm going to have you repeat it and say it again, because it's awesome. So for those who were not listening intently, listen right now, really, really closely. Okay. So addiction is based on real, to make it simplistic, okay, is when you continue to use a substance or a behavior in spite of adverse consequences. Then you need to take a good look at it that you may be in trouble. I mean, it's like going to the refrigerator and drinking it uh, and taking a sip out of a container of milk that's soured, right? And then putting it back in, and the next day you take it, another drink from the same container. Well, yeah. maybe you need to take a look at what's going on there. Yeah, get rid of that container of milk. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, what are the best coping, two of the best coping strategies that you have found that work for you specifically? Well, the ones that I, I found works for most people. Not oh, just no, for you. Okay, all, and they work for others. Well, we're all different. So, you know, it's, it's easier. I, I mean, I could tell you a lot of things that work for me, but it may not work for you, see? I know, oh, but I want to know what works for you. All right. Well, let's, let's go about me and everybody else that I know. All right. Exercise is paramount. Okay. Now, why is exercise paramount? Real simple. When you exercise, you relieve stress. Stress lowers dopamine. So you want to keep your dopamine up, that feel-good drug that we manufacture naturally. All right? So it does two things. It prevents uh, uh, stress from draining your dopamine and increases dopamine. Like I'm sure people have heard of the runner's high. All right, you run and you get high. All right, well, actually what you're doing, you're raising, uh, you know, all your, uh, uh, your dopamine, your serotonin, your, you know, all of these different things in your body. All right, and you feel good. So exercise is paramount. Second of all, meditation. Meditation is how to quiet your mind. Now, meditation has been around for thousands of years. Okay, I, I look at it this way. It's like acupuncture. Anything that's been around for that long has to have some kind of value. Otherwise, it wouldn't went away. So meditation is very important, how to quiet your mind. And most people say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, you got to learn, and it takes time and practice. That's All right? kind of the point, is that you don't know how, so you need to learn. Right. So those are the two things. And then, of course, your diet. All right. Believe it or not, if you eat the wrong foods, all right, you can get depressed. People don't realize that. I tell you what, if you don't believe me, give your kids chocolate about eight o'clock at night. Let me know how they do. No, thank you. And right. so by the time this episode airs, this will be past already. But talking about giving them chocolate past eight o'clock. Halloween is on Sunday. I think almost every child is going to be having some candy past eight o'clock. That's right. And what's going to happen, the parents are going to go bonkers, mm -hmm. okay? Because the kids are going to be running around like crazy. Uh, you know, that's our society now. 
You know, there's nothing wrong with a little candy here and there, but what happens with addicts and people that are prone for addiction, um, we just keep eating it. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. I cannot, I cannot buy a box of cookies because I can't eat just one or two cookies or even right. four if cookies. They're in, if they're in the house, they're gone. Yeah, yeah. I have I, to eat all of them. All or all or nothing mindset. That's right. Well, that's us. Not good. Not good. <laughs> Um, so now let's, we've already kind of talked about your book, but tell people where they can get their hands on it. Okay, they can get it on Amazon, they can get it on Barnes and Noble, they can get it on uh, uh, a whole bunch of different places. It's everywhere. You just go on Amazon, it's real simple. Yeah, perfect. And where can people follow you? They can go to John, the letter J, the initial J, Giordano.com. Wonderful. And we're going to put the link in the description down below, make it nice and easy for everybody to be able to do that. So thank you so much. And I just have one last question for you to wrap it up. If you were to give advice to somebody right now who is struggling with their own addiction, what would you tell them? Well, real simple. If you want help, you can get help. Okay. If you don't want help, you won't get help. And the problem is if you keep using, he's going to wind up in jails, institutions, or death. Yeah. That's that's where people wind up. So it's up to you. You know, and just like your sign says, you are amazing if you choose to be. Awesome. Thank you so much again for being on the show and sharing with us. My pleasure. All right. Again, thank you so much, John, for sharing your story with us. Links are down below. Make sure that you give him a follow. Check out his book. It sounds pretty inspirational. As well, make sure that you hit that like and subscribe button here at the channel. Share these episodes out. These are important messages that we need to share with everyone. Please check out our merch store as 10% of the proceeds goes back to either the Canadian Mental Health or Addiction Services, uh, depending on which products that you purchase. Uh, and remember... The only way to end the stigma of mental health is to speak openly and honestly.